Coming up on today's episode, uh, my brother Chris came on. We talked about the whole All-Star Weekend in Seattle, what it was like going to in person. Uh, but first, I want to talk about the sad fact uh, that the Pac-12 is no longer. All the things that led up to it, all the ramifications, all the good and bad coming from a fan of a Pac-12 team. So all of that coming up next. You can mark it down, August 4th, 2023, the official death of the Pac-12 conference. We learned on Friday that uh, University of Washington, University of Oregon are going to be officially moving to the Big Ten uh, next summer. And then just a few hours later, we learned uh, University of Arizona, Arizona State, and University of Utah are agreeing to join the Big 12. So if you haven't been following all of the all of the drama, all of the, the stories, it it's been a pretty fast demise, at least these last few days uh, for the Pac-12. But it's really been kind of building the last last few years. And as somebody who lives in the Northwest, as somebody who went to a Pac-12 school in the University of Washington, I think I have a, a pretty good perspective on on what this means, both as a fan, but then also what this will mean as a for college football moving forward. As a, a summary of the last couple of days, we learned those teams have left. Uh, they will be moving, I think. They will all be leaving next year. So that leaves pretty much this year as the, the final year for the Pac-12 as we know it. Uh, as of right now, taping this late on Saturday, August 5th, there's still four teams technically left in the Pac-12. Uh, that would be Washington State, Oregon State, and then Cal and Stanford. At this point, I think it's most likely that those four teams will either find new conferences or possibly kind of merge with the Mountain West Conference, which is probably the second biggest conference uh, on the West Coast, although it's not a Power Five conference. So that would certainly be sad for those four schools. There's a few things I want to talk about about this, and it's complicated. Again, this has been pretty fast moving, but years in the making as well. So let's start with what just happened, just in the last you know, 48 hours. Why we saw the Huskies and the Ducks move to the, to the Big Ten, and then obviously the three schools following it in the Big 12. As a, a Husky alum, as a UW alum, it's going to be sad because I grew up my whole life living in Seattle, watching Pac-12 football, watching Pac-12 sports. And I mean, that's what I grew up with. I grew up with the, the big rivalry with the Huskies and the Cougars and the Apple Cup. I grew up, you know, hating University of Oregon and all of those rivalries. And yes, I guess technically that will continue in the Big Ten. But all the the Pac-12, or, you know, back then, it was the Pac-10 and even the Pac-8 before I was born. There was just something about West Coast football that was was different for me than than any other part of, of college football, any part of any other college sports. Because there was a camaraderie, I guess, or just a, I don't know, a distinction that you were a, a Pac-12, you know, Pac-10 school. You know, we would all listen to, you know, late night basketball games with Bill Walton uh, as the commentator. And, you know, he loved the Pac-12. You know, it was the Conference of Champions. 
And, you know, that may not have been the case, you know, these last decade or two. But it, it was a distinction because come 7, 8 o'clock at night here on the West Coast, you know, a lot of the East Coast people are, are going to bed. But we get essentially a whole section of just West Coast sports. And as an aside, I'll probably just reference football and basketball because those were the, the big two sports, at least for me. But obviously, this will impact all sports moving forward. You know, having those, you know, 7.30 kickoffs, yes, uh, had lots of issues, and, and we'll talk about that. But as a fan of the Pac-12 and a fan on the West Coast, it was great because, you know, we got to watch all the, the East Coast, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12 schools battle it out. But then, you know, the night came and we had, you know, the Huskies versus the Ducks. We had the Apple Cup. We had, you know, good battles with USC, UCLA. Even bringing in Utah and Colorado when it became the Pac-12 from the Pac-10. You know, it still felt West Coast. You know, they're still close to the West Coast. And, I, you know, I don't know how to describe it, but it's certainly going to be an era that sounds like is gone in college sports, and specifically college football, which you know, whether you like it or not, I think is a big factor when it comes to all the other sports. And yes, I'm hoping we can continue at least our, our tradition and our rivalry with, with Washington State, whether it's the Apple Cup um, and all other sports competing. And I would assume it would. You know, we've heard already from uh, UW's uh, athletic director and president that they're attempting or they would prefer to, to keep that rivalry with, with Wazoo going. So I hope that's the case. I hope we still get some version of the Apple Cup this year. I hope we get some, you know, version of the Apple Cup in the years moving forward. And I, I bet we will. It just won't be the same when, when a conference is at, at stake. Because like Colorado and Colorado State, they play each other most years. Iowa, Iowa State, you know, they play. But it's just not the same when you're not in the same conference. Because sure, you know, at least from a football perspective, I don't think there's been many years, you know, in the last couple decades that the Apple Cup is, has truly mattered when it comes to, you know, conference implications. But there have been plenty of times where, you know, one team, you know, has really high stakes and the other team is really just playing for pride and playing for the Apple Cup and trying to beat the other team and, and squash all their, their hopes for that season. So from that side, yes, I'm sad, and I'm sad for all the Pac-12 fans um, that, that have been a fan way longer than I've been, or way longer than I've been alive. And I am sad for the, the four teams that are left, and we don't quite know their future. Cal and Stanford, they might have a shot at you know, joining you know, a Big Ten, Big 12, and, and we'll talk about that um, in a little bit. It looks a little bit tougher for Wazoo and Oregon State. I think their path is a little bit harder uh, to kind of get into the mix. And so I'm sad for those teams. Because yes, big rivalry with Wazoo, you know, in-state rival, all of that. But it's fun having, you know, these Northwest teams be at least somewhat nationally relevant. And it sounds like that might not be the case moving forward. So that's the, the sad part of it. 
the flip side, you know, especially as a, you know, a UW alum, as a, a Husky fan, I do think they made the right decision. Because, you know, we learned the last couple of years it didn't look good for the Pac-12. You know, we've been slowly building to this point. And there have been rumors before, you know, it had been rumored for a while that the Big Ten was interested uh, in UW and Oregon. So to see it finally happen, again, it was a, a surprise because everything moved quickly. But I do think it was the right decision. Because yes, tradition, yes, all of the things I just spent a few minutes talking about is important. But at the end of the day, you need to stay relevant with whatever is changing in college sports. And like I mentioned a few minutes ago, college football is a huge part of that. And I don't mean it to diminish all the other sports, all the other programs. But when college football specifically can bring in that much revenue to fund all the other sports, there's a reason why that is a, a driving factor. And that's mostly what the conversation is about. And so if you look at, at college football specifically, you know, the Huskies are this year probably going to be as good as they've been since uh, 2016 when they made their lone uh, college football playoff appearance. And if, you know, if they have the season everybody's hoping they do and you know, potentially make a Rose Bowl, potentially fight for a playoff spot, if they have a great season and then the Pac-12 falls apart and they're stuck by the wayside, that's a huge, that's a huge loss. But now by joining the Big Ten, financially, obviously that's a, a huge gain. But then just staying in the national conversation, being able to play teams like Ohio State, like Michigan, Wisconsin, some of these big powerhouses, not only play them, but play them not at you know 7.30 here on the West Coast when a lot of the East Coast is getting ready for bed. So now the Huskies get a chance to financially make a, a lot of money, which is whatever you can say about it. If you don't like it, if you do, but it's, it's good for the university. It's good for not only the football program, but the rest of the sports that can, can or should at least fund the other sports. And then staying relevant because you don't want to, you don't want to lose the national spotlight. And I think the Huskies and Oregon, obviously, too. I think those two schools have the reputation, and they don't want to lose that. So what are the, the ramifications going to be? You know, I think from, again, from a football perspective, yes, it's going to be weird to have a conference that's used to be just, you know, a flight down the coast, you know, maybe down to Arizona, Arizona State, and then Colorado and Utah when they joined. But now you might fly to Rutgers, which is literally on the other coast. So now this isn't, you know, the West Coast anymore. This is a lot of Midwest teams, a couple of East Coast teams, and now four West Coast teams. Because again, USC and UCLA will also be joining the Big Ten. Uh, they were the first ones to move last year. So from a travel perspective, that seems like a lot. And, you know, from the football if you're looking at it from a football lens, honestly, it's not that big of a deal. You know, once you get on the flight, they're flying on these, these nice jets, these nice planes. I don't think the, the difference of a, a two and a half hour flight from a potentially four and a half hour flight, not that big a deal. 
what it will at least impact, I'm not saying it's going to be a, a catastrophic impact, but what it will impact are fans. Because now, you know, the Huskies, when they play everybody except for University of Oregon, it's going to be a decent flight. So no longer the option of, you know, driving over to, to, to Pullman and, and seeing the Apple Cup. Although, again, I hope that continues. Can't take a small flight down to, to Berkeley, see Cal or Stanford. Yes, you'll get, you know, some USC, UCLA games. But what about when you're flying over to Rutgers? Or you're flying to, to Penn State or Maryland? A little bit different. And again, I'm not saying that's catastrophic, but it's an impact. And then all the other sports, which again, I mentioned college football specifically is, is going to run most of the conversation and the amount of money it brings in, it probably should. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't throw all the other sports and all the other athletic programs by the wayside. Now, the hope is all the, the money that is brought in from joining the Big Ten, hopefully that would go to uh, the other sports and at least help them with you know the transition over to some potentially longer travel. But that's going to be you know obviously an impact to to some of the smaller athletic programs. Let's let's step back for a second. You know, there's a a couple future uh, things I want to hit, but let's step back and just kind of go over what happened because again, everything f- happened fast. We've talked about everything that just happened, but how did we get to this point? Because, again, we might have to go back 10, 15 years, but the Pac-12 used to be, or the Pac-10 at that point, used to be a really big conference. You know, that was back when, you know, USC was a powerhouse in football. That was when UCLA was still one of the, the premier basketball teams. Now it's, you know, it's been hit or miss. And especially from the football side, you know, I mentioned, you know, Washington made the, their one uh, playoff appearance in 2016. Oregon's been relevant for a while now. We've had some, you know, nice seasons from Utah. We've had, you know, a, a couple decent, you know, Stanford seasons in there. USC, UCLA, you know, a little bit up and down. But it's certainly not what it used to be. And, you know, in the last 10 years where we've seen the SEC dominate, we've seen the Big Ten kind of be right there with them. We've seen the Big 12 kind of up and down, but at least entertaining. Pac-12 has certainly fallen off. And you can really point the beginning of all this uh, to a couple years ago. If you remember, the Big 12 was sort of in peril, just like the Pac-12 has been. And there was some concern that once Oklahoma and Texas announced that they were leaving the Big 12, that, oh, maybe the Big 12 was the conference that was going to fall. I think there was some hope that, you know, maybe Oklahoma and Texas would join the Pac-12. And, you know, Texas in particular, a huge football program, you know, that would certainly help the Pac-12. But it ended up, probably not surprising, that those two teams ended up going to the SEC, uh, which will happen, I think, this year. But once that happened, again, the Big 12 seemed like they were the, the conference in trouble. And so, you know, there were some rumors, you know, maybe the Pac-12 could jump in and, you know, start to take some of those bigger programs left in the Big 12. And then if you remember, again, this was a couple of years ago, the, the Pac-12, the Big 10, and the ACC 
formed some sort of alliance and some sort of agreement that between the, the football program and then both men's and women's basketball, you know, the probably the three biggest athletic sports in college right now, they were going to form some sort of scheduling alliance essentially to, to try and kind of boost their security, boost their revenue. And the Big 12 was not one of them, which fueled, again, speculation that potentially the Big 12 was the one on their way out. But unlike the Pac-12 did this past year, Big 12 ended up getting a number of schools, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF, uh, to replace Oklahoma and Texas. Obviously not the same magnitude, but some decent schools uh, coming over. And then it was last year that UCLA and USC uh, broke the news that they were uh, heading to the Big Ten. That was when things really got worrisome for the Pac-12. Because yes, some good schools left, but USC and UCLA in particular were the the big brands of the Pac-12. And the biggest area. Of course, two schools right in LA. That's a huge loss for the Pac-12. And it was even more concerning that after that news broke, later that summer, we were hearing stories of a potential media rights issue that the Pac-12 didn't really have a good situation lined up uh, for their media rights. And, you know, I know we're, you know, about 20 minutes in at this point of the podcast, but this is really the reason why the Pac-12 is falling apart. And, you know, whether you want to blame the, the, the commissioner of the Pac-12, whether you want to blame the, the schools involved, whoever you want to blame, them not securing a, a lucrative and really important media rights deal is the real reason for their downfall. Now, whether USC and UCLA saw that issue kind of coming and decided to jump when they could, you know, that's probably the case. But then losing them only makes negotiating a TV deal even worse because, again, USC, UCLA, those are your, your two, I guess, most important brands. The Pac-12 deal currently uh, is with ESPN and Fox, and it expires next summer. So again, the last couple of years we've been hearing, you know, whether or not ESPN, Fox, you know, these big networks were going to want the Pac-12. And, you know, this is why it's taken a year. And again, you know, news would break slowly, but we learned earlier this year that it sounded like ESPN did not, was not interested in, in Pac-12 games. So ESPN have their own issues, and we can talk about that in a later episode. But if, if ESPN isn't going to broadcast your games, if Fox isn't going to broadcast your games, that's, that's a huge deal. Because yes, you know, you can try and work with CBS, maybe NBC, even Apple TV, we heard just kind of the last few weeks. And that was probably a, a last-ditch effort on their part to try and get in the, the college football world. But that's when, that's when things got really bad. And that's when rumors, again, started to circulate of, of current Pac-12 teams kind of rumored to, to be looking around for other conferences. That's where we started hearing some news on, on all these teams. And then just a few weeks ago, or even, what, just a week or two ago, Colorado, they were the, I guess, the, the first team to jump ship after USC and UCLA. They announced that they're going to the Big 12. 
And then it's just been a snowball from there. And that's where we got to uh, the last 48 hours, which I've already talked about. So again, you can blame the, the Pac-12 commissioner. You can blame the schools. You can blame whoever, but it's, it's mainly the media rights issue. It's the money, uh, which is the driving force of most things these days. And that's pretty much how we've gotten to that point. So the, the last thing I want to, to talk about is the future. Because what does this mean outside of you know, your personal stake in the Pac-12, outside of people like me who grew up with the Pac-12, who went to a Pac-12 school? What does this mean for, I'll say specifically college football? Because I think that's been a huge topic of conversation the last 24 hours is you know, what happens to the four teams left in the Pac-12, but then also what happens to the current conferences. Because right now there's 18 teams in the Big Ten. So you know, please change the name because it's not the Big Ten. It hasn't been the Big Ten for a while. It's not the Big 12. The Big 12 now has 16 teams. The SEC, now that they're getting Oklahoma and Texas, they'll be up to 16. Uh, and then the ACC, which you know, hasn't really been a part of the conversation in the last couple of years, uh, they're still at 15. So we've turned from a Power 5, including the Pac-12, to now four big conferences. And is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You know, if it were me, and if, if I was running specifically college football, it's almost time to just embrace the fact that you are essentially a junior NFL that you're an NFL light, as some people have called it. I think that's what we're building to. And honestly, at this point, we're, we're kind of tracking towards mega conferences. You know, I think the Big Ten, if they added, let's say, Cal and Stanford and got to 20 teams, that could be one mega conference, if you want to call it. And then if you put you know, some form of the SEC and then obviously adding some Big 12 schools in there. People have talked about having a college football environment with two 20-team conferences. And again, at that point, it's essentially the NFL. The NFL has two conferences. They have 16 teams in each one. They have divisions. And that's where we're headed. Now, for college football in specifically, is that a good thing? Uh, on the pr- on the field, as a product, maybe. You know, I think college football has a lot bigger issues than than what teams are playing what, because at the end of the day, right? For me, as a college football fan, and I wouldn't consider myself a, a major one, but as a Husky fan, as a former Pac-12 fan, I can I can love watching football on Saturdays, which I st- do, and probably still will, and probably always will, because it's football. But I know deep down that I can invest, you know, my whole Saturdays for the next four months, watch good football, I'll enjoy it. But at the end of the day, Georgia's probably going to win it all. And if it's not Georgia, it's going to be Alabama or Ohio State. And that's probably going to be the case for the next five years. And then, you know, in five years, it might change. And instead of Ohio State, it might be Clemson coming back. Or, you know, we might get a school change every few years. But to me, that's the bigger issue. And so we can save that topic for another time. But the rest of college football, you know, honestly, like I said, probably should just look like the NFL light at this point. One thing I was uh, thinking about earlier is 
if you're wanting to keep more schools relevant, you know, we talked about teams like Wazoo, like Oregon State, falling out of, of national rele- relevancy, at least possibly at this point. Why not do something like soccer does? Why not make, you know, two 20-team conferences and then make two lower-tier 20-tier conferences with the possibility of, of promotion and relegation? Because then, then you have, you know, the, the best of the best teams, you know, the best 40 schools competing each year. So we get to see more more battles between, you know, Ohio State and Oregon. And we get to see more of, of Florida State battle USC and, and Clemson battle UW and, and those, those games. So we get to see good games that way. But then that also leaves the opportunity for, let's say, the, the lower tier conferences. You know, maybe that's where, where Wazoo and Oregon State go. Maybe that's where smaller schools, at least from a football perspective, go from other conferences. You know, maybe that's where a Virginia Tech is and a Wake Forest from the ACC. Maybe that's where Missouri goes, Iowa State, Houston, Colorado, you know, just throwing names out from various conferences. But by having, you know, a relegation promotion system, maybe that gives them the opportunity to, you know, build up their program in this lower tier conference with the opportunity to, to reach the top level. Because what I don't want to happen is to have something like we've had for years where Power 5 schools essentially run everything. And then if you're in the Mountain West, the WCC, all of these smaller tier conferences, it's really hard to break through. You know, we've had teams like Gonzaga, like Wichita State on the basketball end, We've had UCF had a good run in football, but it's really hard to, to kind of jump up because this whole system is designed around Power 5 schools. So why not put the best of the best together into this mega conference system, but give the opportunity for other schools to be promoted to that system? Because then at that point, you can set up a playoff essentially the way the NFL works, and you don't have to argue, oh, well, UCF went, you know, 11 and 0 in their schedule. You know, they should be in over Baylor who went 11 and 1 or 10 and 2. No, now you get the best of the best and the rest of the teams get to kind of work their way up. Now, I say that as a fan of a team that would probably be in the top conference in the University of Washington. If I was a lower tier school and got bumped down, I certainly wouldn't agree, but as a college football fan, I think that might be the best solution, but I don't think that will happen anytime soon. But then again, I didn't think the Pac-12 would fall apart this quickly. So time will tell, I guess. You know, as of right now, looks like the Pac-12 is over with. We'll see in the coming days what happens to the remaining four teams. We'll see what happens, you know, in the coming years, what happened to all the conferences, but major changes happening across college sports. And probably not the last major change we'll see. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that in future episodes about what it means to be a college athlete, what it means to be in a college football environment that's kind of run by the top teams. Lots of issues. 
But I think college sports is changing, which is sad for the Pac-12. It's sad for people like me. But I think overall, moving forward, will be good for all the sports. All right, my brother is back in studio with us. A uh, little bit overdue, but we are a couple weeks uh, removed from the MLB All-Star Game being here in Seattle. Uh, and we were lucky enough to be able to go to not only the All-Star Game, but the Home Run Derby and all the surrounding events that, that came with it. So I figured we'd kind of talk about our experience, talk about what we liked, what we didn't like. But I guess just overall first impressions, what did you think of the whole, let's call it a weekend, even though it was technically Saturday to Tuesday? Uh, I mean, it was, it was just good to see all the fans and um, my favorite part of you know the whole experience i think it was just seeing a bunch of different jerseys people traveling from all over the country just to f- see their favorite players and it allowed me as a fan you know west coast pacific northwest we're out of kind of in the middle of nowhere geographically speaking but to see all these big stars you know like mookie betts like he, he doesn't come to seattle every year so seeing him come in that was awesome and like obviously shohei and even you know some of the smaller guys but it was just awesome to see all the, the that star power yeah yeah, I really liked seeing the the fans as well, all the different jerseys. It was also fun, not just the game itself, but all the kind of warm-ups that they'll do on the field, the players themselves. It was just fun seeing, yeah, Ronald Acuna and, and Ozzy Albies and all the Braves there, and then see, you know, Kershaw and Freddie Freeman walk by. and Oh, yeah, like Kershaw like, was out in the outfield playing um, yep. Catch of the Sun, so that was really cool to yep. see. Just in you know, the middle of all these stars and all the pitchers and everything out there shagging balls. It was just Kershaw and his son. So. Yeah, it's fun to just see. Yeah, because they're, they're more relaxed. They are obviously excited to be an all-star and be a part of that. But yeah, at the end of the day, they're like, this is just a celebration. So, so that part's all fun. Did you like the, the home run derby more or the, the all-star game more? Because I think it's different when you're in person than it is on TV. And I, yeah, it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts, which one you liked better. Um, afterwards, I'll just say before, after both events, I went home and watched at least part of um, what happened, what I just watched in person. And on TV, just as the normal fan would see it, the All-Star Game is awesome. Mic'd up all the players and are all interviews and all that. It's so, super cool. But I did learn that the Home Run Derby is terrible to watch at home. Mm-hmm. And being there live was incredible. The atmosphere, the music, players going crazy, um, watching on the balls, travel 400 plus feet, all within, you know, two, three minutes each. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty, I would have to say it's pretty easy for me to, it's the home run derby in person. I think I agree. I think I would go home run derby, but I agree that it's really bad uh, when you're watching on TV and we can talk about how we want to fix that if we could. Even, I think, in person, it was still a little bit hard to follow everything. And I agree, the, the atmosphere was amazing. And, of course, when Julio hits, what, 41 home runs the first round in Seattle, that was probably the loudest baseball stadium I've ever been in. Like, the playoff game here was pretty intense, too. But, like, that was great. But even still, like, even though we can see the whole field, it's still a lot of, like, oh, like, is that a home run? Oh, wait, no, he's already batting. Like, we got to look at the next one and, and seeing. So not as bad as TV, but I think definitely could be uh, improved upon. The All-Star game was fun for me. But yeah, we were definitely missing the 
the mic'd up players, all the behind the scenes that we couldn't see. But from a just a pure baseball game, still entertaining. I would still say it's worth going to because again, this isn't a, a bad lineup where you're like, oh, okay, this seven, eight, nine's up, whatever. Trying to figure out when you can go get concessions yeah. or anything. Like, okay, the, you know, at the end of this inning, right. worst players are coming up. I'm gonna go now, but right. And that that was fun to see. Like the crowd, the whole stadium was packed and essentially didn't leave. Right, you had a couple people leave here and there, but nobody was going anywhere. Nobody was really talking. Like we were all focused on the game. the The stadium doesn't do all their loud music blaring, which you know is can be good at times. But it it was just nice to just be focused on a baseball game, which I enjoyed. When it comes to, well, I guess let's first let's finish wrapping up kind of the the recap of the weekend, and then we can go into any changes we want to make. But one big surprise for me was all the surrounding events that that came with the All-Star Game and the All-Star Weekend. Uh, if you're not aware, yes, the Home Run Derby is Monday. Yes, the All-Star Game is Tuesday. You have all the other, uh, like, Celebrity Game, Futures Game, uh, HBCU Classic. But then for fans, it's essentially just, I don't know, how would you describe it? How would you describe the, the play ball park and all the events that they had? Uh, it's definitely... From the moment you walk into the building, you can tell due to multiple reasons, you know, lighting, um, there's pictures of players, music, but it's definitely just a love and just an appreciation weekend of baseball. No matter what team you root for, it doesn't matter. We walk in there. A lot of Mariner fans, obviously, in Seattle. doesn't matter, though. We're just here because we all love baseball. We all want to celebrate baseball the best of the best it was just it was awesome you know they had it was just the right vibes yeah yeah it was it was way better than i thought it was going to be i mean we can complain about the different autographs and the logistics of how they set everything up but there's no point to that it it's over now but yeah the the vibes were great it reminded me like i would call it like a uh like an mlb con like yeah. the, the nba con just i think debuted this past summer in vegas and that's kind of what it felt like like it's just like you said, a celebration of everything baseball. So that was really well done. Where you can, yeah, get autographs, you can meet players, do Q and A's, do all sorts of stuff. So that was definitely a highlight of the weekend. I guess if we talk about changes to the All Star Game and All Star Weekend, let's start with the let's start with the All Star Game itself. Do we like it where it's there's no no stakes because it used to be that. Whoever won got home field advantage in the World Series. Do we like that it's low stakes or no stakes, I guess? Do we like the setup where it's just a game? Or is there anything you would change with that? I do like what the NBA is kind of doing, changing how they got to the um, all-star game. Like the picking, like captains picking teams. Yeah, that too. And just, you know, the the each quarter matters. It'd be kind of tougher to do that with innings. Yeah. And it's at the end, and it, but then it's also I think they're playing for charities and stuff like that. So it's not that yeah. they're not they're still not playing defense, but it matters still like yeah. now. So they're still putting effort in. And I really like that. And there are certain I would I wouldn't be opposed to having captains and have them pick a team, and then you know we can do a whole like TV show broadcast ESPN, yeah, the captain picking show, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so that'd be cool too, especially to see like. Because, you know, that Mike Trout, Shohei Otani thing? That was really cool mm-hmm. in the WBC. But imagine that in, like, an all-star game. Not not necessarily those two players, but just yep. two teammates, one pitcher, one hitter. 
Yeah, if it's Kershaw versus Freeman and they come up and it's like seventh inning tie game, yeah, like man. that'd be kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, so that'd be awesome. So it's like I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Why not? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think baseball, just the nature of the sport, it's kind of the best All Star game, right? NFL's the worst. A lot of it's on them, but you know they really can't do anything about it. It's football, basketball again, same thing. Baseball is the perfect sport where you can try hard. And all the players can care to an extent. Obviously, they're not 100% locked in. But it's still a decent product. So I'm okay with keeping it the same, but yeah, it would be fun to do. 162 games a year. Yeah. What's one 163. More? Yeah. Home run derby, though, you mentioned it. Kind of uh, not the same when you have just a time clock and you have pitches after pitch after pitch being thrown. Do you like the old rule where you get 10 outs? Or are you thinking something more radical? I like the idea of it. Because there's a reason why we switched from 10 Yeah, outs. I mean, it's, it, like, it can definitely be boring. Because then if they're taking pitches and it's all, and we're just waiting and waiting. Or if you have a guy that, I mean, I guess that's on them. But if you have a guy that takes 13 swings and 10 of them are just ground balls, fly balls, whatever, and don't go out. And it's like, all right, well, I got to see my favorite player for like 30 seconds and then he's out. Yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to maybe grouping them like there's no first round matchups they're just each player is going to get around at the end of that the top people no matter who like like just the best scores advance and then maybe we can get into like a playoff but then do you still want to do where each round is ignoring your previous score or do you like the idea of like julio gets 41 in the first round then it's just wiped clean in the second round I, and we'd have to look up exactly what it was before, but I think it was the first two rounds were combined, and then they go to the final, and it's start yeah. over, and that's where like Josh Hamilton loses. Yeah, I was gonna, Josh Hamilton definitely comes to mind. Julio would do the same thing last couple of years. So maybe, maybe it's not. Maybe you put all the players get one round, top players advance. And then the next players, building off their last round, continue. And then you get to the finals. And then maybe you just keep going. Yeah, but then the problem That's with the that same. is that if Julio's up by 20 going in the final round, you're like, it's a little anticlimactic. I mean, good for Julio. And like, yeah, we would want this. But tough. Yeah. I don't think there's a perfect solution, but. Yeah, yeah, it'll never. You know, maybe the 10 outs with like a pitch clock. Yeah. That's like you need even, 10 outs. Or maybe it's like 10 outs or, you know, an X amount of minutes, whatever comes first. True. Or, and they kind of did this, but like maybe strictly enforce it. Have the three minutes, but also have, like you can't throw the pitch until the next, uh, next one lands. There we the go. previous one lands. Because they kind of did That's that technically before. like the rule, yeah. but nobody cares. Yeah. Like but I think if they did that, then we're like, hey, well, we got to watch it land. Like, wow, look how far that went. Okay, now we're at the next one. Yeah. And then if, I, yes, then unintended consequences of these guys that are hitting moonshots, like they have less swings now. It's not perfect. Like, I don't hit think line drives. I don't know. Yeah. But something else. Or change. maybe they pause, they're able to pause the timer once it hits the bat. Oh, but then I don't know. Yeah. That way, that, that just incentivizes not taking pitches. True. Which, then you're just which is the main problem with the outs, too, because. They're not the main, but one of the problems is, you know, you just keep taking pitches because you're not going to swing at something that could right. hurt you. But right. now with no, with no outs to worry about, you just have time, you're swinging at everything. True. 
teams would probably prefer the outs. Yeah. Hey, take 20 yeah. swings. Like that's it. But uh, any other, any other events you can think of that would be fun? Um, it'd be, I don't know what it would be necessarily, but a skills competition would be really cool. I think like NBA all-star weekend, they have skills competitions, three point contests, which I guess three point, I don't know. Three point contest feels like a home run derby. If there's like a dunk contest, that'd be pretty cool. Um, where it's like specialized individual feats that are, I don't know what it could be for baseball. Like that would be tough. Well, so like throwing some ideas, you could have an outfielder competition where they have kind of like the, in football, they have the quarterback accuracy competition and you could put it at home plate or third base or whatever and different levels. Like if you hit it right in the circle, like if you throw it right in the circle, you get points. Um, in any sport, you could do this. I don't know if anybody would ever agree to it, but you do some sort of uh, speed competition, some sort of race, or some yeah. sort of like. I mean, that's that's gonna first to third. I don't know some more like different that. different types of players into the because there's right. the speedy players that aren't great hitters or whatever that'll never make the All Star game. Yeah, but that'll bring them into the All Star weekend. Fans will be introduced, and maybe they'll find their favorite player. Yeah. So that I wouldn't be opposed to that. First, just a bunch of skills, like you said, first to third, or maybe just round the how who can round the bases fastest. That would be fun. Or the outfield competition that you said is really good. I like maybe at you know just batting practice, but it's like okay, now you have to like get it to as close as you can on the left field line. Yeah. Okay, now you have to get it as yeah, close like as you can the games on the right. that we would play like on you know two K or the show where you're like, yep, you need to get every single like you need to hit one to left field, center field, right field. And like you need to continuously do that, like guys like Arias. Oh yeah, be like, hey, you have to hit one here, then one here, or like you get different points. And I'm sure there would be players like him, like Ichiro, that you could even put targets out throughout the field. Like that would be fun, even if it's like off a tee. Yeah, or even off a machine or something. Yeah, it's just like you know, it would probably be boring, but you could do the same with pitchers. Probably be a little boring for television and uh, for people there. But if you had like some sort of like fancy strike zone with targets, guys like George Kirby who could just hit that target. And if like you hit it square on, then you get points. I don't know. I feel like there's lots to do and they should be a little bit more creative. But yeah, I think what next All Star game, Texas next year. Yeah. That'll be fun. Texas. A little bit different than Seattle, but it was fun for. A few days, and then I guess the kind of a year as we led up to it. It was fun that Seattle was, I don't know, in the baseball rhetoric. Everybody was talking about Seattle for a little bit. Yep. So, yeah, like it's nice, you know, talking about all-star ballots and like who who's going to go to Seattle, who, who you're going to send to Seattle. Like that was just like, cool yeah, to hear. Yeah. And just knowing even if, I mean, obviously we could have tried to like run into and, get, and meet players and stuff like that, but it's just fun knowing like everybody that's important in baseball is in Seattle. Yeah. Like and like the red carpet at Pike place. Like that was so cool. To that see. was great too. Yeah. So overall great experience. I think we'd both do it again. So in 20 years 20 when years, it comes yeah. back, but bring our families. Yeah. Any, uh, quick trade deadline thoughts before we go? Um, as much as I hate to say it, I like that what the angels are doing at some point, you got to go all in and try and keep Shohei. Sure. At some point you got to win. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> I feel like it's kind of too late. Yeah. Um, but at least they're trying. Could just, you know, I like the effort basically. Yeah. 
No, it's way better than the alternative of trading him. Yeah. Because you don't do that. I've said that yeah, multiple no, no. times. Yeah. You'll never get that value. Yeah. Um, like, I'd almost rather let him walk than have the option to keep, or yeah. the chance to keep Because him. then, whether it's true or not, everybody on, in your team and all the fans are going to think, wow, like, we gave up, like, we voluntarily traded him. Versus yep. if you lose him, like, it's going to be terrible, but you're like, it's like it's yeah, like, and like I said, you at least had a chance to re-sign him. But if you trade him, you no chance at that. I like what the Cubs are doing as well. They were not great, and then they started winning. So then they committed to that. They kept Bellinger, kept Stroman, added Condelario. So a lot of good pieces there. Excited to watch them. The Rangers, just you know, hey. getting starting pitching, kind of a weak point, I guess. Pitching in general, I like the. It wasn't at the deadline, but the Chapman that was pretty cool to see. I like Chapman there. Yeah, and we could yeah spend lots of time talking about all the other moves that went down. I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on the Mariners, but we will get to that at some point in the future. Uh, we also need to talk Barbenheimer at some point because yeah. that was, as uh, two movie people, that was uh, an event, let's say. A Best spectacle. theater experience since Endgame. You're talking Oppenheimer, though. I mean, both, I mean just seeing the, the, packed, yeah. the packed crowds pink and black in the same theaters sometimes you know pink in the oppenheimer yeah. and then the black i mean just in general what people would wear like they'd wear the darker clothing and then the pink right it was just such a nice contrast between the two movies it was just great to see those two yeah yeah i think yeah we'll we'll do a kind of a, maybe a longer review of both of them and what it means for theaters but yeah i guess for now um yeah that's it and we'll yeah talk to you soon about all those things thank you that will do it for today's episode thanks to my brother chris for coming on we will be back uh this coming week talking more baseball again looking at the trade deadline a little bit more uh looking at kind of more specifics what this means for the the remaining couple months of the baseball season so make sure to check us out on apple podcast spotify and we will see you next week